Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the Oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries, share the real truths about marketing, and empower you to become a real marketer. One of the best parts about the show is talking to marketers who have unique experiences and speak their mind. And today's guest is definitely one of those. Kate Bradley Turnus is a radio DJ, turn marketer, turn co-founder and CEO. She started her career in radio and eventually had a show on Sirius XM with 20 million daily listeners. She channeled this experience into marketing where she worked with large brands such as Walmart before starting her own company. We're talking about the importance of finding common ground with others, the theater of the mind with audio, how she realized that she needed to be her own boss, how the spreadsheets she put together for a project with Walmart turned into a software company, and how she became an accidental CEO. So all my listeners know I love to ask a kind of an unusual first question, which is tell me something that few people know about you. Yeah, so I... I was literally just writing about this. Um, and, and the thing is that I, I'm not a people person and I really don't like, um, social networking <laughs> at all. So like I Me was, either. A, you don't No, <laughs> we're behind the mic, right? <laughs> right. Well, everyone's like, don't you miss events? And I'm like, no, no. I don't. Yeah. Like it's the small talk. It gets to be really intense and you have to, I feel, this is how I feel. I feel I have to put on a person, a persona to go to that event. Right. That chick is not the person who sits on the couch and watches TV with my husband later. You know, I got to put on my polish and my cowboy boots and my smile and everything you say is interesting. (laughs) But it's not. (laughs) But it's not. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work too, because you really have to be beguiling or entertaining or whatever it is people want you to be because there's an objective, right? And sometimes the objective is like, oh my God, I made a new friend and I'm such a jerk. Like (laughs) I thought this was going to be like a terrible event, (laughs) but, but most of the time, you know, it's a work-related thing and you just have to smile through it and put up with dumbassery, frankly. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, I feel like I'm the kind of person who can make the most mundane thing interesting just by asking questions and relating it to other things in my life. But other people, they don't have that skill, which is okay, but but they don't even try. Right. So it's just like, don't drag me down into your hell of boring. Like (laughs) just come on. I've, there has to be some way we can find each other. And and then the other thing is like, we were at a dinner right now. I'm going off on this. You, You didn't mean this, but like we were at a dinner once and there were six people invited and on paper, everyone there should have been really interesting. And I'm interesting. I was a rock and roll DJ broadcasting to 20 million listeners a day, for God's sakes, in my other life, right? And my husband, guitar player, his band was our favorite record of the year. Um, One of our mutual friends, Joan Jett's guitar player, calls him the best guitar player in New York back in the day. And he goes, like, like, so, and we're interesting. We have to be interesting. No one, for three hours, no one asked us what we did. 
which is amazing Wait, what? to me. Yes. And I didn't like, share it. Isn't it weird? It's like small talk 101. Like, 101. what do you do? Where are you from? Yes. And like the people, I'm not even kidding. We talked, here's, here was one of the conversations was go around the corner table and talk about your um, most terrifying dental appointment. Like, honestly, this is, I'm not even kidding you. And I was just like, what? <laughs> right? I, I don't want to talk about the dentist at dinner. I know it was, right? it was even worse than that. It was like somebody's, they talked about the surgery down and there was a hole going down the tooth thing and whatever. And then oh. someone else was like, oh yeah, well I had this thing. And I was like, I couldn't even, we, I just was like, and we couldn't eat fast enough and I felt really bad, but I didn't feel that bad. I'm telling you about it now. That's the thing though. So what we're trying to say here is like, it's so easy. This is good. Cause we're also briefly talking about politics before we came on common ground is everything, right? Like I don't vote the same as my neighbors, but I love my neighbors. They are wonderful people and they love me because we are able to f- see through that bullshit and, f- and have the, find the common ground. Right. Like my, yep. the church down the road here, it's not my church. Cause I don't go to church, but I love this church. Cause they always have great signs. One of their signs like earlier this year was tweet unto others as you would like to be tweeted. Oh, I love that. That needs to be on a shirt. It's awesome. And then the one right now says, love thy neighbor, them too. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right. Uh, yeah. So. I, well, no, you're right. Common ground. It's like so important. And I think what sometimes people think about is they're like oh well you're from like a different part of the country or you have a different background I'm like what do you watch on Netflix because I bet we watch the same shows and we could talk about that for a while <laughs> there you go like I we were just we were just talking about the weather I so I interviewed Apollo Ono you know the eight metal yep. superstar Olympian first of all he is so hot I know this is like like totally important stuff. I mean, but oh my God, he's just wonderful. At literally during the interview, I couldn't help myself. Stephanie, I was like, can you just say my name a couple more times? <laughs> but anyway, so we were just talking about the weather and how it's this wonderful gift of reach acrossness, you know, like you can talk about the weather with anyone and it's not stupid. There's a, there's a phrase that like, you know, un, uninteresting people talk about the weather or some, some stupid thing like this, which is completely wrong. Smart people bring up the weather. Cause I know it's, it's like the way to your heart is to get you to open up and give me some information about you and like have a smile, you know, share a smile. Exactly. Well, it makes me in a better mood yeah. this year. 20. 20- 2020 sucked. I'm a, well, and I'm like a glass half full kind of person. Like I always try and see the positive thing. I was a cheerleader for a long time. So I think it's just like <laughs> my nature, like who I am. Awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm always trying to find ways to like, think of things, like find ways to connect with people. But to your point about events, like everyone is saying like, Oh, I miss, you know, going out and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Like 20, I mean the pandemic, don't get me wrong. It yeah. sucks really bad, but I, I mean, I've not worn jeans Oh for my like god. Six months. Thank God. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> totally. I'm like, I'm never putting those suckers on again. Which here's what's sad about that, Stephanie. Is so like I love cowboy boots. I always wear my boots to everything, to every meeting. I don't wear regular shoes because they're uncomfortable. And they boots make me taller and feel more powerful and all the things. And like you can wear those, you have two options, a dress or jeans right you know and like so the sad thing is i'm not wearing a dress because i'm not going anywhere and like you're not wearing jeans either so my poor boots are just 
they've retired and I feel bad so about that. You're saying boots don't work with yoga pants? Cause I feel like everything works with yoga pants in 2020. It, no, it's not cool. It's, it's not. I mean, you could try it, but I mean, if you're, if you're seven, totally, then yes. Well, if you're seven, there's a lot of things you can get away with dress wise yeah. that, that you can't get away with as an adult. Uh, those days where like you were just oblivious to everything or you didn't care what anyone thought. I know. So my, my friend Sean actually was, um, this is so wonderful. So Sean is our friend and neighbor and he, um, is, has a landscaping business. And what I love is he writes a, a letter. It's a handwritten letter that they print out, or sometimes he emails it, but he usually gets printed out and put in an envelope to you, which I love that. And Sean just always does like, maybe it's once, I don't know how he often to send it. He sends this, but I think twice a year. And he just always gives you a little update on his personal life. And so the update this time was his, he's got a new son who's I guess three now, so not so new, Chase. And he was saying how he was watching Chase play the other day. And in the climate of all that's going on, he just thought, just play hard. Enjoy this moment where you have no idea that there's anything wrong in the world. And just do it. Just play like you've never played before, right? I love that. Let's pivot the conversation um, to you were a rock and roll DJ and now you're the CEO of a company and you've also done a ton of marketing. I'd love to just hear about like, how did you get started as a rock and roll DJ, you know, with 20 million listeners a day? Like what was your path there? Yeah. Um, so I was, let's see, I, I was a fiction writing major in college. Um, weird creative writing, you know, kind of a weird major, but hey, liberal arts. And I was working at a little art newspaper in Burlington, Vermont, which is where I'm from. And there was a ski, like, a, you know, we all skied all the time, right? So there's a little party up in one of the ski areas that was for all like the media folks in town. And so we were there and, and there was a terrible DJ, but the radio station f table was next to me. And so I was just complaining loudly, like this guy sucks. You, Hey, you guys are good at music. Get up there and fix this. Like I just, you know, shoot my mouth off. And the GM, I didn't know she was the GM, but this woman turned to me and she's like, Hey, you've got a great voice. Do you want to be in radio? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Cause you know, I was just out of college, like whatever. And, um, I guess, um, during my interview, I totally swore, which is kind of my nature. I've got a filthy mouth, but, but I didn't, I didn't mean to do it like that. I didn't even know that someone had tell me later, but, um, so then suddenly I was in radio and I got really lucky because that, that job was a bunch of incredibly talented people who took their time and really celebrated the theater of the mind, which is the thing I love so much. Right. Um, so Stephanie, that's for folks who don't know, that's this act of, um, that you can't really get from TV. You can get it from reading a book or from listening to audio like this or, or music even. Um, but your, your, your mind has to do some work to get the story. Right. And there's an untetheredness to it. And so you allow for the other person's theater of the mind to be part of the experience, right? Like I can't control everything you imagine me to look like or be like or all those things, right? And so um, and creating and, and doing you know, what you can as a radio producer to influence that theater of the mind. So we like spent a lot of time being super artsy. And I used to make segues. This is real radio where like I, I chose the music, you know, and I cracked the mic and I messed up. <laughs> I 
I left silence on the radio and, and it was you know, all live. <laughs> it was all live. Yeah. This is like, I was really lucky. And what I learned was that there was no money in radio, but there was money in production. And so the art of literally creating either commercials or, um, images, which imaging, which is like the drops between the songs that, that identify the t- station. And so I also learned that I could charge for that, which is when you, unusual. So like usually when you go to a, this is nerd information, sorry, but when you buy commercials on a radio station, you can take the commercial that they make you for free. They don't charge you to make you the commercial at the station and you can air it on another station for free, right? They don't charge you for that. So I was Wait, like, this what? Is- yeah. They sold it today. Yeah. 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 So they don't charge you for the making of the commercial. So they, it's like, so, so they'll huh. just, yeah. So once you have it, you can take it and air it in other places, right? You have to pay the place for the airtime, but not for the making of the commercial. Stupid. But I was like, well, that's crazy. We're the best when we were the best. Um, and so I started charging people for our creative spots because we were so good. And then, um, so that was interesting. And I just, um, a friend of mine, so I worked in with, you know, fish was the headquarters of fish. P H I S H was in Burlington. So I had some friends who worked there and one of them was like, Hey, have you heard of this thing XM? And I was like, no. And I, I'd been through some other stations at this point. I'd been to WYMP in Pittsburgh and I'd been to, um, North Carolina. So I'd been around a little bit and it was clear that like, I was a bit of a renegade. <laughs> like, um, I mean, they had a conglomerate of stations where there was country, classic rock, jazz, and then they had this weird little format, AAA, which is my format, adult album alternative, alternative which is like NPR music, basically, um, and artsy. And so we were kind of the, the odd fitting ones. And, you know, I'm a reverend as heckfire, and like I didn't have my nails painted and I swear like a sailor and, and all the things. My friend from Fish had told me about XM and I just happened to know some people who got me the interview. And anyways, I, I got to XM and um, that was a crazy journey because it, I made I, I got to the show. I was at the best place. Everybody in the whole world in radio is trying to get there. Right. And I, I don't know how I did, honestly, because like they had pulled together all the best DJs across every format. It had been around for years and years. And that wasn't me. I mean, I was young. Um, but you know, I just had the balls, I guess. And when I was there, so radio, as you can tell, is like super boys club. I mean, it was sexual harassment century, central <laughs> centuries of se- sexual harassment. Um, but I didn't even know that was wrong. Cause like I said, like there were meetings at strip clubs. I mean, that I knew was wrong. Cause I was like, here's why. Cause I was like this, I'm not eating the food here. This seems disgusting. <laughs> Right? <laughs> it was so weird. Um, but what I didn't, what I did know was wrong for sure was, um, like I wasn't getting credit for my ideas and there was this constant struggle. Like I had to fight to get the same recognition as the guys. There were obviously less, way less women there. And, um, that was really annoying to me. Like I couldn't, there didn't seem like any upward mobility unless I wanted to like slog, you know, through an unnatural, an unfair sort of slogging. And my body started screaming at me, Stephanie. So like, I just had all these physical ailments like on top of each other. And then it got so bad that I was actually physically disabled. And Oh, wow. Yeah. But I didn't look disabled. Um, and so they didn't believe me. Um, and so I literally, I hire, so I can't, to this day, I can't type or touch my phone without 
extreme pain. I have a, what's called a partial permanent disability. Um, so I, I talk to my computer all day, which is why I have this Sennheiser mic on. <laughs> and I, I use a stylus to touch my phone. Um, and so, so I, I hired my own intern because XM wouldn't hire somebody for me because I couldn't type. And so I'm like, and then I found this software dragon naturally speaking. And so I, I couldn't pay the, the coach to help me learn it. Cause it's like learning a whole new na- language. And I paid her in CDs cause I got them, you know, I had CDs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank God. She liked my kind of music. Um, and it was pretty, it was terrifying. Like, so I, I couldn't do something the whole world did, which is like use the internet. Are you kidding me? You know? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it's crazy. And I'm kind of like, but it's also like, to some extent, like, did you think it was like, looking back now, did you see it as like a blessing almost that you went through that? In a hundred. Exactly. Right. So, and for so many reasons, like number one, I still talk for a living. Hmm. Isn't that ironic? Right. But what I do every day is I hear how I talk. And so I'm very clear on what on that theater of the mind, what you're on the receiving end of, I have a much better insight. And so that's why I'm a better, I'm a better marketer. I'm a great writer. I'm a great marketer because I have this understanding of what you're hearing. So this is the the tie-in by the way. So hmm. there's a, a neuroscience of listening to music, um, where your brain must catalog and categorize every single song you've ever heard when you hear a new song. And it's, just running through all that library of music, trying to place this one. And so by default, you are experiencing nostalgia. Your memory banks get tapped, right? The whole time through. Um, Now your voice itself also has a frequency. It's an, it is a note, same kind of idea, right? So I like to think about like, how can I use this note to get you to access that nostalgia to discover something new, which is, by the way, also around the music I used to play. It was old and new together and album cuts and all these things. And my job was to get you to, to, to get, to, for me to place something unfamiliar, couch it inside something familiar, right? Which is what sales and the weather is all about, right? All the things we were talking about here, yep. this is that common ground, you know? Um, and so because I have, I have this weird, weird advantage. So the other thing too, is what, what it prevented me from is I don't react to email anymore because it's, I'm not touching it. You know what I'm saying? I need to do this. Hold on. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about this. Cause like, I feel like my inbox is like the, like st- inbox and now Slack are like the biggest <laughs> stressors for me. Totally. Like I, so I turn off all of my alerts and alarms because I literally just can't touch the stuff, you know, and I can't be bothered by it. And it was stressing me out too, like in a million ways. So like I have like, even I have, um, an iPad, which I can touch my phone with a stylus, right. Or my iPad for like a limited time. And on my iPad, there's no email and there's no social. Like I cannot do any work on it. I've got that only for like when I feel like doing Pinterest or something like that. Right. I've had to separate these things. And then, um, with the email, like, because I can hear myself, I mean, I sound like a bitch a lot, you know, so I have to use a lot of smiley faces, for example. Um, and I use I, a lot of exclamation points and emojis too. I can't help it either. Yeah, you got it. You have to do it. And it's so, um, it's very powerful, by the way, when you can control. So, so the thing about having a microphone, which you know, from your, from this podcast is you are in control. This is your show, right? 
Um, but it's also your job. The onus is on you to make me feel me, the listener, not me, the guest, um, as though I have a voice, right? That's how you, when you're good at your yep. job, that's what you do. So there's a two way street kind of thing happening. Right. So I think about the, all the time, like, how can we do that in writing? How can AI replicate that? Which is, you know, what lately is about, um, and, and kind of get you to this place of where there's the theater of the mind, the human connection, and it's a combination of um, familiarity and newness um, and that common ground and the weather and all these things like into one fabulous cornucopia of, you know, magic. <laughs> so this experience, and then you start getting into marketing, like what, how did that transition happen? Like, what did you feel like you could, in addition to the stuff we're talking about right now, like how else did that influence, like how you just even think about talking to people and messaging to different users? Yeah, well, so from, so from radio, by the way, so I, I moved um, to another music related company from XM. Um, and the same thing started to happen to me. I was, there was a boys club. I was shit on like the whole thing and I couldn't figure it out. And like, of course I didn't look, you know, disabled in any way. So like there was no, uh, flexibility or understanding of whatever my needs were, but also I was also a terrible person. I had just come through a shocking experience. I mean, it was pretty, I mean, I was, it was a hostile work environment. It was so threatening and I had, um, panic attacks, like all this stuff. And I was trying to, I mean, I wasn't dumb. I was trying to do all the things I could do on my own to help myself. So I was in therapy. I was getting massages. I was looking at all kinds of alternative medical care, like everything I could possibly do on my own thing. And it wasn't enough. And even changing the jobs wasn't enough. And, but I knew, like I knew I had the wherewithal to like help myself in some way. And so my dad, um, one day, I was up there visiting, I was in Vermont and, um, trying to escape from my life, which is what I needed to do so badly. And I smoked too. I was just like, love smoking. And I was just smoking like crazy because I was so toxic. And, um, my dad shook me by the shoulders and he said, you can't work for other people. And there's no shame in that. So that was pretty intense because he got to, he got to the heart of two things, which I couldn't even see. Right. So this is, and the first thing was, is I felt shame. That was the thing that I felt so badly that I was disappointing my male bosses, okay? That I, it was my fault, right? That's what I, I felt. And then um, number two, I didn't know that you couldn't work, I, I couldn't work for other people and that it was okay. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I don't have to fit into this whole system. Yeah. Like I could be my own boss, what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that was a good catalyst, right? And then my, because you asked how, so I'm telling you how. Um, my 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 boyfriend, who's now my husband, he's very thoughtful and kind. He went straight to Barnes and Noble because we used to go to bookstores, and he bought me, I um, the Art of the Start, which is Guy Kawasaki's startup book, right? Yep. And right in the first or second chapter, Guy says, "Don't make a plan, just get started." And I put down the book because I was like, well, <laughs> what do I waste my time with? Why am I reading this book? <laughs> <laughs> Let's roll, you know. Um, and then I, I also read, I was reading a self-help book that was so stupid. And like, I couldn't believe, I was like gagging reading it because it just felt so inane. But um, what it did was remind me that, in fact, I was toxic. Everything coming out of my mouth was like, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. And that couldn't be because um, because. I, it reminded me, I, I just literally thought of like the last time I hit a line drive in softball, when I, what I thought when I hit that ball was I am amazing. <laughs> it wasn't, I suck. Right. And I was like, yep. Oh, okay. And, 
that week I happened to go to lunch with a customer who was um, unusually hand delivering a product that they would normally mail. And I took the meeting because it was a friend had introduced us. And these two guys turned out to be the most wonderful humans in the world. And they were angel investors, which I didn't know. And they were just like, wow, we really like you. Let's start a company together. Here's 50,000 bucks. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I know. David, David, my husband was like, I just gave you that book. <laughs> like I don't know man <laughs> well you know what's crazy though is sometimes like that's the thing why I always say like you have to look for like the positives because there are times where like that opportunity like if you weren't in the right headspace you could have said like yeah no thanks <laughs> right but you took advantage of it yeah and it was also because like I was so I have this un I mean I'm not very filtered as you can tell and during the meeting with those guys they had asked me so they asked me about Bob Lefsitz, who at the time was um, a radio pundit, um, a music pundit who, in my genre, who was very well respected. He had a newsletter, which nobody had then. And it was like, I don't know, 20,000 people or something on. It was big. And um, he loved my station at XM, but but like outright didn't give me the credit. Like he would literally list my boss as doing things on the station. And I was like, Jesus, that's my show he's talking about, you know? And he, and my boss asked him about it and Lefsitz was like, she couldn't possibly do this. She's too young to understand music this way. Oh God, I can't even. Yeah. So annoying. So I was like, they were talking about Lefsitz because they were fans. And I was like, oh, let me tell you about that guy. He's an (laughs) a-hole. Cause you know, that's just (laughs) how I, I, I don't even think like, oh, maybe they're friends. It doesn't occur to me that I might be putting both my feet in my mouth, you know? Um, but they liked that about me. Right. So this is where that authenticity, like you just, when you, you are, when you're yourself, the doors open. You know, exactly. Well, and people know what they're getting. And they also I just feel like authentic conversations, people can trust you more, right? Because you're not trying to like we talked about earlier at events, putting on this like facade of like who you are, you're just kind of like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Totally. Like I, and I, I feel bad about it. But I do accidentally insult people <laughs> without meaning to in that way. Because like, for example, if we were at an event like that, it's totally likely that I would just be like, dude, I am so bored. And then you would be like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> but I wouldn't mean necessarily that, you know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, so yeah, so when I was, so so with these guys, um, Alan Scott, we launched um, a music taste making company because that's what they were. I was interested in music then still, obviously, and they were too. And as I was marketing it, um, somebody else came along and said, Hey, you're really good at marketing that. Would you like to come and consult us on marketing and we'll pay you more money and you don't have to, you know, listen to music anymore and bad music. Cause that's what you have to listen to a lot of when you're trying to discover new music. And I was like, that sounds awesome. And so we pivoted the company and I had an agency and my, essentially my first client was Walmart. Whose first client is Walmart? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that was also lucky there was a piece of software. It was called My Free Taxes. And it's it was designed to help lift the poor out of poverty through income tax credits and financial education, which, you know, for those of us who, who, so most people I know grew up with savings account or um, an allowance or like you had a lemonade stand or, you know, some kind of understanding of money early on, which is, by the way, not normal. Most people don't no. have that. And it's, 
it becomes, this is how you learn how privileged you are basically, by the way, like the, a conversation around money is not something that just happens in the world. You have to have someone lead the way for you, right? Just because banking is complicated, a check equals money. Like that's not a natural thing for people to understand. And it's not endless money. It's only money that's in the count. Like you don't, just because you have more checks doesn't mean there's more money, right? So this was Walmart and um, National Disability Institute, which is a whole 54 million Americans have a disability and most of them are live in poverty because of it, frankly, the system runs them down. Um, and also Bank of America, AT&T, the IRS and United Way Worldwide. And each of those companies have franchises of sorts, right? So the United Way has a million franchises and Walmart does also. And then there were all kinds of individuals because it's a good cause. So lots of people wanted to like help out and be a part of this and market it. And so my first thought was, what a mess. This is crazy. And so I just built a spreadsheet and for my own mind just started organizing everything that came across my desk. So maybe it was like, okay, here are the, you know, Walmart has, I don't remember what it was like 1200 stores participating. I need a Facebook link to all of their stores. Oh, nobody has that list. Jesus Christ. Let me make it for you. You know, or like, all right. So So how does no one have that list already? (laughs) Yeah. They hadn't thought about it. I mean, this is like 15, well, I guess it was about 15 years ago, 12 or 15. Yeah. So that hadn't occurred to them, you know, but also same. I thought the same thing. Like, how can that be? Because they weren't thinking about unifying the marketing and that everyone had to be on the same message. Like we know, but still Stephanie, most people don't know this. I know how it's kind of still, it's still like to this day, like I'm still surprised when I talk to enterprise marketers and I'm like, what what do you mean? You don't have a list of like, insert, like all the websites that you own. I I don't like, I don't understand. (laughs) How can it be? I don't know. I mean, so ironically now as a startup entrepreneur, there's a million things that I don't do that I should do, but it's because, you know, my ass is on fire all day long. So (laughs) maybe that's why, but who knows? Um, but yeah, so so my spreadsheet system ended up getting us 130% ROI year over year for three years is the quick summary of that. And, um, but I mean, I'm not going to go into detail, but, but a couple of things that were missing that I helped fi- us figure out, which was one, what you just pointed out consistency, right. And how important that is for everyone to be on the same page, because when we're on the same page, we're mighty, right. We're really mighty all, exactly. all, all together. Right. Um, and this is, by the way, how how underdogs can act like big, big dogs is just by unifying, unifying the message and their in their muscles. And also there was a, a waste of content. So there was lots of content being created. Um, now we call it long form content now, but before it was just like blogs, podcasts, videos, um, radio interviews. There was all this stuff happening willy nilly. Blah, 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 and like maybe it would just get one shout out on social or maybe someone put it on a website, but there's like nothing happening. And I was We're like, this is an email. That's yeah, it. Exactly. Like, so let's unlock that. That's, you know, we spent four hours writing that blog. Let's do something with it. So I took uh, a blog and I looked for all the great quotes that were inside because the title was boring as hell. It was like, you know, Walmart creates tax prep software for people with disabilities. No one, no one cares about that, sadly. Right. But the quote that says like, we gave Sarah, Sarah got $2,000 and can now finally buy the car so she can keep her job. That's it. That's interesting. You know, well, that's emotional to people too, right? Like you can, <laughs> if you're in that situation, you can relate to that. 
it speaks to everyone. That's right. Because there's there's sympathy and empathy. That's right. Back exactly. to common ground too. Common ground. It's so easy. Like so. So like in, if you had one blog and there were 20 quotes, now we got 20 social posts. They're all interesting. They all can drive traffic back to the same place. I can spread them out, you know, three times a week and no one's going to say that they seem redundant because they're not. It's not the same quote. It's not the same post, you know. Um, so anyways, so as I was doing that, I started using my spreadsheets for all, all my other clients and they worked and somebody else came along, my friend Steve and now my co-founder and, and Steve is a serial entrepreneur serial entrepreneur and an angel investor and had been in startup land for a while and had had an exit before so he knew the game and he knew he had some failures too he knew the game really well and he was like hey I just need to see your spreadsheets let me look at your spreadsheets and so he's always asking about my spreadsheets and I was just like you're annoying me <laughs> Like, why do you like spreadsheets so much? What's with you? And he's always, he would stop. He, he used to drive from New York to Vermont. He would drive right by my house here in the Hudson Valley. And so he would always stop by for dinner and, and was always asking to stop over. And he was nice. Like we got along, we were friends and we'd make him dinner. And then one day he was like, you know, we just need $25,000 and we'll build some wireframes and we'll automate your spreadsheets because everybody needs, needs this. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. I don't know what. I don't even know what a wireframe is. Like you're not speaking my language. <laughs> e, don't touch my spreadsheets because they're awesome. What are you crazy? And C, $25,000. Like I've worked my whole life. I'm buying my first house with that 25 grand right now. Like you're crazy, right? Like I don't have yep. that kind of money. So he did. He pulled the money out of his own pocket and brought along Jason, who's now my other co-founder, one of them. And they came to my house on a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night after Christmas. And so be, as a consultant, I only got vacations when my clients had vacation. So I was on vacation and it was Sunday night, 8 PM. I'm like half into two glasses of wine. I was just like, what? Get away from me. And they delivered the wireframes. And I was like, oh my God. And Steve likes to say that I was much nicer to him after that. <laughs> Cause I got it, you know? Uh so what was that like to see something that like you have been working on for a while turn into a company when you had no intention of it becoming at least a software company? You were just using it as like a tool to help you do better in your consulting work. Honestly, it was so weird. I still didn't even understand what the wireframes totally were or what I was selling at that point, because at that point we, we had to start pitching investors. So for the first six months, I mean, we raised $250,000 by October, um, which is pretty great, um, yeah. on ideas, basically on total bullshit. I mean, you're just winging it and you don't know what you're talking about at all in any way. I mean, I really didn't. And, um, cause I, I couldn't even still imagine it and, and cause it wasn't built yet. There wasn't a thing to imagine. You know, we were just literally talking about this idea and then Stephanie, it wasn't AI and it wasn't about writing. It was about organizing because that's the, the fundamental thing I had done for, for XM was XM from Walmart was, was pull together the pieces, right. And give us that insight more or less. So that's, that's, what's been the most exciting thing is it's morphed so much over the years and it's more for a couple of reasons because I paid attention. Like we had customers and we saw what they liked and didn't like, and it was really easy to see what they liked. So do more of that. Duh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but putting our own words on it has been very difficult. Like even to this day, it's hard to describe, you know, 
what lately does. Um, cause I can, that's like the bane of your existence, right? The shoemaker, shoemaker has no shoes, um, as a marketer. So, so I hate that, but Hey, whatever. It's part of the game. It's all part of it. Well, you mentioned one of my favorite buzzwords. So AI, which I feel oh. like is, you know, like everyone's like, well, AI and personalization and insert new buzzword. And I'm like, but what do you, but when you say it, what do you mean? Tell me. So you got to tell me what you mean by AI. <laughs> sure. Cause like, to be honest, in the beginning, there was a little bit of bullshit um, because we learned what everybody learns, which is like, oh, people are calling this AI and it's getting a lot of recognition. And, and so we should label it as well. But then I had to look into really what the AI was. So there's, as I've learned, there's two kinds of AI. There's uh, pseudo and authentic. And pseudo AI is, is when a human still has to push the learning forward. Like the, the machine actually doesn't get smarter on its own. There has to be some human, human dragging it forward. Right. And then, um, authentic AI is when it is actual machine learning. So in the life of AI, I think it was born in like the 1940s or something like that. Um, but on the, on the grand life span of where it is in the world, if, if it's a human, we're like a six month old toddler, not even a toddler. So we're a six month old baby. If you know, all, all of AI, not lately, but just generally, um, which means we're far, far away from any kind of movie types of things. But for us, I mean, what, what we do is, and this is really important because people are so excited about the automation, they forget the AI, which is actually the true, I think the true real innovation. Um, so, so lately we'll take a podcast like this and automatically transcribe it and then automatically take the transcription, take find the best quotes and then par parse up the quotes with the video. So if we were recording video, right? So you're going to get hundreds of mini movie trailers in, you know, in a few minutes, but the way it knows what to pick is because it automatically studies your analytics and in real time. So it updates every day and it learns what your customers will like, comment and share. And it builds a writing model based on the words that you write, like literally. Right. And so that's really important because it's, it's pre-testing. It knows what's going to work before you get it. So that's like, um, it's like Netflix, Stephanie, right? So Netflix has been, we, we talked about them earlier today. They know everything about me. They, and they what do. I like. They do. Right. Exactly. So they, when you first started Netflix, they started to learn what you liked and then they recommended relevant content based on the data they learned. Then they got very smart and they said, well, now that we know what all you people like, we're going to build original content based on that data. And their original content is now the most watched on its platform. Right. And this is what Lately is doing as well. So let me get this straight. You went from a radio DJ to a marketer working for huge brands to the CEO of your own company. And now basically you can make my job easier is what I just heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. So my job is to do essentially what I did for Walmart. Like you can do what I did for Walmart for less, way, way less, a fraction, pennies, right? Like, so I charged Walmart, it's like $140,000 of that billable or something like that. And I spent three years doing that work by hand and Ugh. you you can do it for like 300 bucks and five minutes 
So would you say like you're an accidental CEO then? Like you weren't intending to be a CEO of a company and employ other people, but it kind of just all worked out that way. And now you're in this situation where clearly you're happy doing what you're doing. I mean, I'd say I love that term, by the way, like cool hashtag um, accidental CEO, but it, it couldn't be because like by nature, I am bossy and by nature, I am risky, right? I was, you know, from, and by nature, I love the pirate ship. So whether it was being a line cook, you know, not a way on a line cook and rock climbing and radio. Like I, I like all these pirate jobs and, and, um, entrepreneurship. This is a, in it's the, it's again, cliche. It is a roller coaster, but you're, I'm driving my own, my own roller coaster. Right. So if I didn't love the downs as much as the ups, I wouldn't do this. So like there's, and there's no accident in that, right. I choose this. Common ground, it came up so many times during my conversation with Kate, which illustrates its importance and really everything we do and how easy it is to find common ground with someone if you actually just try. When you think about this from a marketing perspective, it means that you should be able to find common ground with your target audience, no matter your experience, whether you're marketing to marketers, IT, doctors, lawyers, it doesn't really matter, just even consumers. If you can find common ground between your brand and messaging and your target audience, it's going to help you get better at creating compelling messages that really are effective and drive results for your business. So make sure you're out there constantly thinking about what that common ground is between you and your audience. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.